Good Monday. This is Ozarks at Large for May 8th, 2023 on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service at the University of Arkansas. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for joining us today. In our second half hour, Randy Dixon joins Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth to talk about creation science and education in Arkansas. From the Scopes trial in 1925 in Tennessee to Governor Frank White in 1981 in Arkansas and beyond. Lots to discuss in about 20 minutes on Ozarks at Large. First today, construction of a $300 million, 180-megawatt industrial wind energy facility, the first on the Ozarks Plateau, could begin as soon as next year. The 9,500-acre Nimbus project will perch on top of a series of mountain ridges spanning eastern Carroll County on lands leased by willing owners. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, developers, likely in an effort to avoid public opposition, strategically kept the project under wraps until last month. Former Carroll County Judge Richard Williams sits on the front porch of his remote Ozark Mountain farmhouse this morning. A few cattle, donkeys, a bunch of rambunctious guinea hens, and a flock of chickens roam nearby. Williams says wind speculators have long prospected this high breezy ridge for valuable wind resources, erecting temporary test towers. So it's been going on for 15, 20 years. Nothing ever came of it, he says. Turned out only a few county officials and ridgetop landholders were aware of the activity until early March. That's when word began to spread that an independent, privately held company based in Boulder, Colorado, called Scout Clean Energy, had obtained sufficient land and transmission line easements to erect a 46-wind turbine facility in eastern Carroll County. So I could have all four sides of my property could be surrounded potentially with windmills. Williams refused to lease his place, his wife christened Dream Mountain Farm, and now he frets that drilling and blasting required to create 20-foot-deep concrete footings to support the 500-foot-tall wind towers near his place will wreck his spring-fed water supply. The springs are underground rivers in the rock. They're going to be shaken. Some of them, just by the nature of it, has to collapse. The topography here is karst, fractured limestone, containing underground springs, perched water, caves, and sinkholes. Another disruption, he says, will be a fleet of industrial flatbed trucks hauling tower parts and giant turbine blades rumbling down his narrow county dirt road. Williams is mad no public notice was ever given by Scout, but in April, after six years of development, the company finally hosted two public information gatherings at Berryville Community Center. Farmers and overalls, couples and families wander among tables laden with platters of pink frosted cupcakes and pretty windmill displays stationed with scout reps fielding questions about the planned 180-megawatt wind power facility. We were invited to interview Scout CEO Michael Rucker, who explained why the company decided to stake a claim on the Arkansas Ozarks of all places. We have to go to where the wind is, and we have to also find a place, though, where we're capable of actually constructing the project. And this location really has both conditions satisfied. We have a great great wind resource, and although it's, it's pretty rough terrain, like you mentioned, it still is constructible and we can build a wind farm here. Scout Clean Energy, founded in 2016, according to its website, has several dozen wind and solar projects in operation and development across the country, most on vast prairies and farm fields, a few on mountain ranges. Rucker says Scout's wind turbines will be set back from homes, farms, and businesses to muffle noise, reduce flicker, and protect private property from potential turbine malfunction. As for the karst topography, Rucker says geotechnical borings have proven where wind towers can securely be anchored. Now, I'm not aware of exactly uh, how these plans have shaped up, but it would be unusual that we would be using blasting. We usually excavate the turbine foundations. So uh, if we do use blasting, which I have used at, at various sites, it's a very, very contained process. It's not the huge explosion that you're 
um, might be thinking about or imagining. It's a very, very contained um, charge that is just used to basically fracture to make excavations easier. The company will have to comply with Arkansas's best management practices to control both site and road construction stormwater runoff and protect wildlife. U.S. Fish and Wildlife studies show that wind energy facilities kill raptors, songbirds, and bats. In eastern Carroll County, eagles and five species of cave-dwelling bats that roost in trees in summers are at risk, including the endangered Ozark big-eared bat, scouts required under federal law to compensate for potential wildlife harm, referred to as take. A trove of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service correspondence and documents obtained by a Carroll County resident through the Freedom of Information Act provided for this report reveal that Scout initially sourced non-Ozarks ecoregion data for its proposed habitat conservation plan. Mark Wingerski is vice president of development for Scout Clean Energy's eastern region. So we do a tremendous amount of wildlife and avian studies. So as we receive the results of those studies, as those reports become finalized, we ultimately hand those reports over to Fish and Wildlife. There's things that we, we will do, and there are commitments that we have made. For example, preserving summer tree roosts and operating turbines in ways to inflict less harm on wildlife. Michael Rucker says once Nimbus goes live, generated wind energy will be distributed wholesale on MISO. That's the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator Grid. But first, Scout will have to build a 4.5-mile-long transmission facility to interconnect to a substation switchyard south of Green Forest, owned by Arkansas Electric Cooperative Corporation. From there, exporting produced power onto the MISO grid via Arkansas Entergy's transmission line. So this wind farm can use the MISO transmission network to basically sell energy to any point within the middle part of the United States for the most part. So there are a lot of options to whom we can sell the energy. As an independent wholesale generator, Scout is exempt from having to apply for a Certificate of Environmental Compatibility and Public Need from the Arkansas Public Service Commission, which we queried. Scout is also unencumbered in Carroll County, where officials refuse to enforce comprehensive land planning or zoning codes. John Howerton serves as Carroll County District 11 Justice of the Peace. He lives a few miles away from the planned wind farm. As a county government, I don't feel that we should go down the road to restrict the use of these pieces of property by these landowners. The word nimbus is defined as either a heavy rain cloud or a luminous halo. Four dozen Carroll County families who've leased their rural land and farms to Nimbus for income, apparently, hold the project in a very favorable light. My name is Brent Fry. I am 59 years old, and we live south of Green Forest. I am the third generation on the family farm. Uh, my son, Drew, is uh, working with us. He'd be fourth, and he has Elijah, who would be fifth. Brent Fry, a regenerative farmer, was among the first to lease a portion of his property to Scout Clean Energy back in 2016. He thinks as many as four windmills could be built on his place. I think it is good to be part of the, the first wind project in Arkansas. I think we need to be an example to our family that comes behind us. Uh, I, I think it's a sustainable project that uh, uh, shows it fits with our philosophy that we care for the environment, that we care for what God has entrusted us with to manage. We have got to produce our energy in a different way, in a carbon neutral way. And uh, wind energy is not perfect. There are obviously some flaws. Uh, there are some drawbacks to it. But as I see it, I think it needs to be part of our uh, part of the solution for for the long term problems that we face in uh, energy production. We asked Scout to provide a Nimbus project site map and were emailed a blank perimeter image. But Julie Morton furnished a detailed map for our report she found buried in U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service records, revealing a constellation of turbines. I've had 42 years of experience in the energy sector, including in oil and gas, electric utilities, and more recently, wind and solar. A large part of my job has been negotiating easements and leases for both companies and landowners. 
The Crawford County resident who's been consulting with concerned Carroll County residents was sent an unsigned Nimbus easement contract from an anonymous source to look over. She's found more searching property tax records. Well, there's a lot that troubles me. Um, The amount of clauses that um, favor the company more highly than they do the uh, landowner. Uh, Clause 15.6, title tax credit. This clause says if Scout slash Nimbus does not get the federal subsidies that they are seeking, they are reserving the right to unilaterally change all the terms in the easement except the lease term and the payment to the landowner. I have never seen that in any kind of agreement that I have negotiated. The Nimbus project will employ 200 company workers with some local hires, some permanent, yielding $14 million to land leaseholders for the 30-year life of the project, the company says, and county tax revenues valued at $25 million. Morton says a land rush is underway to site industrial wind and solar projects right now. That's traced to the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which extends and increases investment and production tax credits, subsidies, as Morton mentions, for wind energy projects required to begin construction by late 2024. Scout plans to break ground on Nimbus as soon as next year, we were told, at the Berryville Public Gathering, despite growing opposition, which CEO Michael Rucker says is unusual. Well, we don't come across opposition like that at most of the sites that we work on. And in fact, we haven't seen it here up until very recently. Perhaps that's because, until recently, most Carroll County residents had never heard of the Nimbus project. Rucker says Scout has no plans to expand wind farming on the Ozarks, considered unconventional wind terrain, but research shows that turbines built along hillsides and on mountain ridges are capable of catching higher terrestrial wind loads compared to flat terrain. Transition to clean energy generation will be critical in the near future to avoid looming catastrophic effects of climate change. But according to the U.S. Department of Energy, a glut of new wind and solar energy has created regional power grid congestion, interconnection queues, causing long wait times for hundreds of new wind and solar generation projects, which reveals another reason why Scout is on the Ozarks Plateau to interconnect generated Nimbus wind energy to the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator Grid, which remains only partially congested. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Coming up on today's program, we go into the Prior Center archives for the intersection of science and religion in Arkansas. I look at it this way, that it is an equal treatment of creation science and evolution science. And my commitment to the members of the House that I talked to and to uh, the senator was, if they got a substantial vote on it in the legislature, I would sign it, and that's what I did. Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History sits in with Ozarks at Largest Deanna Carruth to discuss evolution, creationism, and education in the state. That and more on today's Ozarks at Large. Theater Squared presents Chicken and Biscuits, a dysfunctional family comedy about rival sisters trying to bury their father without killing each other first. When a family secret is revealed at the church altar, things go from bad to bonkers. On stage through May 14th, 777-7477 or theater2.org for tickets. Historic Cane Hill presents Niloke and Beyond, an exhibition of rare examples of Niloke's swirled missionware art pottery alongside creations from potteries around the country inspired by the Arkansas-made Niloke swirl design. The opening reception is this Sunday, May 7th, 1 to 5 p.m., in conjunction with the second annual Arkansas Pottery Festival. More information at historiccanehillar.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders joined members of Arkansas's congressional delegation on Friday to welcome a new international fighter pilot training program at Ebbing Air National Guard Base in Fort Smith. 
The base was selected in 2021 to serve as a training center for pilots of the F-16 and F-35 fighter jets from foreign militaries, including Poland, Germany, and Singapore. Sanders says the project could have an economic impact in the region of up to $1 billion. What's truly astonishing about this project is its speed and seamlessness through which it came into being. The fastest environmental impact study in the Air Force history. Rapid financial help from the state, from the county, and the city. Zero negative comments in the public comment period. As many as 1,500 military personnel and their families are expected to relocate to western Arkansas for the training program. Officials say the first jets are expected to arrive at the base in September. Arkansas Children's Hospital is planning a nearly $318 million expansion in Little Rock and Springdale. The plan is to add programs, build and update facilities, and recruit about 100 providers and 400 team members. The hospital serves more children than ever before, almost 170,000 in 2022, and its officials say in a statement the need for service is growing. The hospital's expansion will take place over eight years, and the project's details are scheduled to be announced later this fall. About 200 acres on the Middle Fork of the White River is now protected through the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. The land included the Stith Family Farm, a family cattle operation. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports. The Stith's land runs up to the city of Fayetteville near Lake Sequoia, which is part of the Beaver Lake watershed. Beaver Water District provides water to about 360,000 people in Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, and Bentonville and gets its water from the watershed. Pam Nelson, the Land Trust Director of Land Protection, says in a press release placing the land under a conservation easement will shield it from future development, helping keep drinking water clean. Linda Stith, co-operator of the farm, says in the release, development is creeping closer to the operation, and it was important to her and her husband to preserve the natural landscape. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Anna Pope. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Natural Resources Division and the Oklahoma Conservation Commission has rescheduled the second in a series of public meetings to update the watershed-based management plan for the Illinois River watershed. The meeting is open to the public and will provide an overview of the watershed management planning process. The discussion will include water quality issues, conservation practices, the current state of the watershed, and the next steps in the development of the management plan. The original meeting in January was postponed due to inclement weather. The meeting will be held May 18th at the Cherokee Casino and Hotel in West Salem Springs, Oklahoma. The average gasoline price in Arkansas has fallen seven cents a gallon in the last week, with the prices down 5.4 cents per gallon from this time a month ago, according to Gas Buddy. Arkansas's average cost is $3.10 a gallon compared to a national average of $3.50 a gallon. The number six Razorback baseball team swept Mississippi State this weekend in Starkville, moving them into a tie with Vanderbilt at the top of the SEC standings. The Hogs have a few days of rest before playing South Carolina at Baumwalker Stadium on Friday to begin a three-game series. And the number 12 Razorback softball squad lost two out of three in their final regular season series against Missouri. Nevertheless, they earned a number four seed in the SEC tournament, receiving a double bye with a home field game at Bogle Park on Thursday. John Scopes. A young teacher of Tennessee had taught, contrary to state law, Darwin's theory of evolution. The Tennessee country people believed this was contrary to biblical doctrine. And Scope's trial got worldwide publicity, with the Tennessee fundamentalists lined up against the liberals and intellectuals of America. That was a cut from the 1925 newsreel about the Scopes monkey trial, as it was known, regarding the teaching of the theory of evolution in schools. I'm Daniel Carruth. This is Ozarks at Large, and I'm joined in the Karantaha News Studio with Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center. How are you doing, Randy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Daniel? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Kyle is out today, so you get the pleasure of... Uh, 
talking about creationism and creation science with me in Arkansas. That's right. We're going to have a little religion on a Monday. All right. So tell me a little bit about this case, this Arkansas case. Well, we started off with this, uh, I think people have heard of the Scopes Monkey Trial from 1925. There was actually a, a famous movie called Inherit the Wind yes. that, that was done based on that. And it was about the theory of evolution. Well, Arkansas actually had sort of its its own monkey trial in 1981, but it was there with a twist. Mm-hmm. It was um, the introduction of what was called creation science. Right. And what some uh, religious leaders wanted was i guess you could call it equal time of a sorts that if the theory of evolution was taught in public schools in arkansas they should also teach the biblical version of the creation of man and it was a bill that uh went through the house and senate uh this was 1981 right okay uh governor frank white a uh, Republican governor who had defeated Bill Clinton in 1980 was was newly in office. He signed it. So let's go into the KTV archives. All right. Let's and go. we can listen to uh, this is reporter Leslie Doubleday, and she filed this report right after White signed the bill into law. Senate Bill 482, which mandates balanced treatment for creation science and evolution science, has been signed into law. As far as Governor White is concerned, the bill's basis is equality, not religion. I look at it this way that it is an equal treatment of creation science and evolution science. And my commitment to the members of the House that I talked to and to uh, the senator was if they got a substantial vote on it in the legislature, I would sign it, and that's what I did. When asked what his beliefs were, the governor said, I really don't have a commitment one way or another. I am a Christian, he said. I believe in the Bible. Then another question. Doesn't belief in the Bible automatically suppose belief in divine creation? There's no automatic anything. As a Christian, I believe in what the Bible says, but that doesn't. There's no biblical reference on the creation science as determined in the way it would be taught, be drawn up by the Department of Education, and uh, the Department of Education would put the literature together for it to be taught on an equal theory treatment. Just how the Education Department will implement the law, White says, is still unclear. He only had the bill on his desk for a day before signing it, he says, so he hasn't had time to meet with education officials. So, uh, the bill signed, it's law, and at the time, Steve Clark was the Attorney General. We all know Steve. Um, He's now the President and CEO of the Fayetteville Chamber of Commerce here. But I talked to him last week about his recollections of how all this came about. It's hard to vote against a God bill. If it's a God bill, you just almost got to vote yes, you know. And so this got identified as a God bill. And um, so it passed pretty quickly in both chambers with virtually no opposition and no debate. Um, It got to Frank White, who was the... uh, newly minted Republican governor, um, uh, someone that I'd known for uh, a big part of my professional career and um, and liked. And uh, when he got to his desk, he signed it. Uh, he later admitted he never read it, uh, but he signed it. And as he says, one of those God bills can't be against God. That was former Attorney General Steve Clark talking there. So, uh, Randy, this was your first story as a producer, right? That's one of the first big stories that I had. Yeah. I had been working at the station for a couple of years and had started as a photographer. and So I was working on this story and uh, sort of followed it from start to finish. But, you know, this was an soon-to-be incredibly controversial yeah. uh, law that the governor uh, right. admitted he didn't even read it. You know, he's now trying to defend this bill that he <laughs> probably didn't know a whole lot about but of course talk started and Mm -hmm. both pro and con and so KETV talked to some teachers and this is what they had to say I believe that it is a good act I believe it is well written I believe that it has within it 
the constitutional safeguards that it needs for a, a sensitive issue like the subject of origins. I'm opposed to uh, the teaching of creation science. I think that creationists are uh, concrete bound uh, epistemological savages. I think what they're wanting us to do is uh, teach their uh, Sunday school classes for them. Some strong words there from uh, Arkansas teachers. Uh, maybe some vocabulary uh, lesson well, a big for... big 50-cent word yeah, there. Epistemological. Uh, can you give us a, a definition well, there? Well, it's simply, it's like philosophical, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, Blame yeah. Education. So anyway, um, all this controversy starts in the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, got together with a number of... Uh, religious leaders and organizations and filed a federal lawsuit against the state. So here's KATV's Bob Steele sort of explaining what the suit means. Mm -hmm. The suit claims the law is the latest attempt in a long-standing pattern and practice of the state to promote religion in its public schools and to establish a particular religious dogma. The suit says the concept of a supernatural creator is itself an inherently religious belief, and creation science cannot be taught without reference to that religious belief in a creator. The suit says the act constitutes an establishment of religion in violation of the First and Fourteenth Amendments to the Constitution, with the principal and primary effect of advancing religion and abridging the academic freedom of both teachers and students. The creation is an act of faith that there is a supreme being, which I believe in, and I believe this should be a religious doctrine, and I believe in it, and it should not be a scientific doctrine taught by force in the public schools. So what was at first a religious debate and then a legislative question is now an issue for a federal judge. Bob Steele, News Scene 7. So the interview that you just heard in that piece was with Methodist minister John Miles of Little Rock, and he was one of the plaintiffs in the suit. And as I mentioned, there were several uh, religious groups in with the ACLU in this case. Now, my old friend John Brummett was a reporter and occasional columnist for the Arkansas Gazette at the time, and he covered the case extensively, too. So I talked to him last week. There are uh, mainstream religious organizations that are not inclined to accept this more evangelical, conservative Christian notion. And that used to be that the leading advocates for a separation of church and state were the religious organizations. He said, we don't want the government uh, getting in our business because they might try to tell us what to do. And I think it was tactical, but I think it was, it was, it was sound that, the, that you're looking for organized groups with credibility to be your plaintiffs and, and, and mainline religious organizations and their leaders were excellent choices. Friend of the show there, John Brummett. He used to be on live with us every other day. Oh, yeah. Uh, the day he wasn't on, we were live uh, with John Robert Starr from the Arkansas Democrats. So this was a big topic during that time. Yeah. Um, the trial started December, December 7th okay. of 81. And uh, when I talked to Steve Clark last week, um, I asked him about his strategy in the case and if he actually thought he could win. The problem with my belief was that it was um, um, a little optimistic, okay? So what I said was, look, none of us know how the world began. We just, we don't right now. Neither science, nor history, nor theologians actually know the answer to the beginning of life and earth. We just don't. So it either happened or something made it happen. And if we can leave it at that level, that's legal. That's uh, educationally that's sound. We don't know the answer to this question. We we posit that there could probably be one of two answers: something made it happen, or it just happened. So, did you really think you'd win? No. And uh, but I did think I had a, cha a, a chance to make that case. Can you tell me, Randy, just kind of at that time, you know, in '81? when this trial was happening, sort of what the sense was in Arkansas around it. I mean, it, it was split. You yeah. had traditional religious conservative people that thought it should be, and then I think the majority of, of Arkansans thought there should be that separation of church mm -hmm. and state. But covering the trial itself was crazy. Yeah, um, It brought 
local, national, international uh, attention. And so there were crews everywhere, and they were all packed into the hallway of the federal building because they wouldn't allow cameras in the courtroom. Right. And this Court- was the fir- this was a, one of the first cases because the ACLU had said they would sue any state. That, and that this had, was the and first. this was the first. That's right. So, um, well, there were even, like I said, international reporters there. So KETV at the time talked to a reporter from the BBC about, you know, why the interest across the pond. I think it will get quite a lot of attention because evolution is being quite hotly debated in England, but not really on this kind of level. It's more on a scientific level about different theories of evolution. Um, but we also have our religious fundamentalists, and I think that it, that it will create a sort of interest in the bizarre aspects of it, but also perhaps more seriously in, uh, in evolution, which is being discussed intelligently. So here's another interesting story. Uh, John Brummett had written an opinion piece that ran on a Sunday, and uh, Sunday edition of the Gazette, and he caught some heat. He's telling the story here. But I come from a fundamentalist evangelical background that uh, I had abandoned by that point, but my, my rest of my family had not. And they uh, called me that Sunday afternoon with the appearance of that column and told me that uh, I had been attacked from the pulpit of their church that morning. And, uh, you know, I said, what? What about? And uh, they said, well, and they quoted the preacher directly. He had praised the governor and the legislature and spoken of what a great week it had been for the Lord in Arkansas with the passage of that law, a passage of that bill. But then declared, there are those who do the devil's work. Well, just this morning in the Arkansas Gazette, there's an article by a man named John Brummett, no relation, of course, to our fine family of Brummets here, who... Uh, who had attacked those doing the Lord's work. It had, as you might imagine, upset my family uh, and also caused a lot of uh, murmuring in the congregation because a lot of people still remembered that I had gone there. That was John Brummett there speaking with Randy Dixon, telling uh, a bit of a personal story about his uh, how the trial affected him. Well, and it wasn't just his preacher that had gotten riled up. This This is a whole little sidebar you remember Pat Robertson yes, yeah. from the 700 Club and the Christian Broadcasting Network? Well, he had a lot of power huh? in those days. Uh, a lot of people watched, and boy, did he weigh in. Uh, this happened actually on the second day of the trial. He went on the air in his um, on his 700 Club, and Steve Barnes filed a report he'll tell you about it here the familiar faces of the 700 club made no effort to conceal their dismay at the challenge to arkansas's creation science act and it should never have been a matter of judges telling us what to do with education when a so-called freedom reporter joined the cast the allegations began and they were serious allegations charges that attorney general clark heard for the first time in a screening with reporters tonight Are you saying that the man who is appointed, elected by the people to defend their position has been recently tied in with the opposition? I mean, in other words, he was was helping his opposition raise money? Two weeks before the trial started. That's the most egregious conflict of interest. That's crooked. Crooked. I mean, that isn't right to throw a case. It's like a prize fighter getting into the ring, and he throws the fight. The fight's fixed, and on the third round, he takes a dive, and, and you know, everybody goes in the background and pays off. That's illegal. It is, it is so pathetic that <clears throat> right now I'm just so angry I don't want to say anything. I want to be very careful about what I say. Clark acknowledged the donation but said he cooperated with every nonprofit organization from the ACLU to the American Legion. I don't belong to the American Civil Liberties Union. I don't share the goals of the American Civil Liberties, Civil Liberties, Civil Liberties Union. I, don't, I haven't attended a meeting of the ACLU ever in my life, period. Uh, it is just ludicrous. It's, it's absolutely absurd, and that's the nicest thing that I can think to say. I might say some others, but I'm going to try to exercise a little restraint. 
The Christian Network identified only the American Civil Liberties Union as a plaintiff in the trial and made no mention of the dozen prominent clergymen who were also parties. The program seemed to suggest that those who prepared it feel strongly about creationism, if not always journalism. And fighting his anger, Clark said that wasn't good enough. If they did not accuse you, sir, of misconduct, how close in your judgment did they come? Oh, they accused me as... If I meant to... If you thought I suggested they didn't accuse me of misconduct, then I lied. They just flat out accused me of being crooked. And that is misconduct. And that is wrong. And that is what I am so offended about. You can say that I'm slow. And you can say that I may not get other things done, but you're not going to say I'm dishonest. You feel slandered in other words. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Steve Barnes, New Scene 7. As you could tell from that report, Steve Clark was flabbergasted. He, yeah. he could barely speak in some cases, but he was hot. And word quickly got back to Robertson and his people. As I said yesterday, quite a furor was raised in uh, Arkansas. News of Attorney General Clark's vow to take legal action against Christian broadcasting had evidently reached its Virginia studios, and host Pat Robertson expanded on the accusatory remarks he made yesterday. I did not say that the Attorney General of the state of Arkansas was crooked. I did not say that. I said that to throw a case or to, to collude with the adversary on a case is crooked. It is, and it is. It, crooked means not straight. That's, I didn't say the attorney general was, as perhaps I was mis misquoted. So did, uh, did Clark end up taking any, any legal action after the fact? No, he, in, he ended up letting it slide, I okay. think, but uh, not before Christian Broadcasting Network actually, I understand, hired some attorneys oh, wow. in Arkansas, you know, just in case. But Clark watched those broadcasts and Jim Pitcock's uh, office at KETV, and John Brummett was there with us. Uh, and he had this observation when I talked to him last week. And that story played in a way that, by my recollection, generally was sensitive to Clark and critical of uh, Robertson for calling, him on, for, for, for calling a man crooked when he had a different view and also saying that he couldn't do his job because of some personal views, even though that's what lawyers often are called on to do. But I'm telling you now, if one of these televangelists had said the same thing about an Arkansas attorney general in the same circumstance who had given himself for a dinner, the net proceeds of which would go to the American Civil Liberties Union, that Arkansas attorney general would not get reelected. Clark did, but uh, it wasn't that big a deal in 1980. 182, but it would be now. And I'm just inviting people to consider for themselves, have we progressed or have we regressed? So on the end of this, uh, you know, what kind of this CBN debacle, did that have any sort of impact on, on the trial in the end? No, I, because it was all just sort of a separate thing that, of course, jurors didn't hear and right. the, the judge was not going to uh, let that sway anything. But he did come down with a ruling. And after a couple of weeks on January 5th of 82, uh, Judge William Overton uh, filed his ruling. It took Judge Overton 38 pages to say no, but the first couple of pages really tell the story. The state lost. Creation science is unconstitutional and cannot be taught in Arkansas schools. The heart of his decision is a little farther in. According to the judge, Act 590 was simply and purely an effort to introduce the biblical version of creation science into the public schools. He goes on to say the act was passed with the specific purpose by the General Assembly of advancing religion. That's exactly what the ACLU was trying to convince the court of, and at their press conference they were naturally pleased. The attorneys praised Judge Overton. They felt his opinion was so absolute it left no room for appeal. In no room, they claim, for the state to come back with a slightly altered creation science bill. I would hope that the effect of this case will be to simply put an end to attempts to get the teaching of biblical creation introduced into the public schools in the guise of science. The fact is, and the law is now, that creation science is not science that it is religion and cannot be taught in public schools. That was KATV's Randy Weber with the results of the ruling there. So uh, what happened? Was there an appeal? What happens after this ruling comes down? Well, everyone was talking appeal. Everyone who was 
uh, not happy with the results, yeah. well, then we'll just automatically appeal it. Well, Steve Clark, who was obligated mm-hmm. to try the case, which he did, it was up to him to, uh, to appeal. I had a duty to defend it. I don't have a duty to throw good money after bad. We couldn't win. We didn't win. We're not going to win on appeal, and we're not going to spend the taxpayers' money chasing something that's impossible. That was former Attorney General for Arkansas, Steve Clark, looking back on the case. Uh, so when some... we talked, yeah, last week, uh, it, he, he had some interesting takes. Um, but I even found, and this is rare, mm-hmm. um, a federal judge usually doesn't talk about his cases, yeah. even the ones that he's previously ruled on. But in this case, Judge Overton did. He was speaking to a group of, they were either law students or a civic group, but um, he had this to say several weeks after the decision. I'm not taking any particular office for the theory of evolution. If the theory of evolution has no scientific merit and they take it out of the textbooks because of that, that's fine. Uh, that's, that's so be it. Uh, uh, but if they take it out because of pressure from religious groups and because of religious beliefs, uh, I think uh, that's a sad commentary on public education in America. So, Randy, this happened in, in 1981. That's about 40 years ago. Yeah. But it, it does feel kind of like it mirrors some things that are happening well, it, today. It feels familiar. Yeah. It so, does. And, and in talking to... St- to John Brummett, um, he pointed out that at the time, you know, he was making the comparison about the news coverage mm-hmm. and uh, Attorney General who had anything to do with the ACLU. But you had two senators, Democrats, uh, Bumpers and Pryor. Uh, Overton was Democrat appointed judge. And, of course, just about everyone in the legislature was, was a Democrat. That is not the case now. Yeah. So, you know, there, he also pointed out there, there wasn't the Internet. Mm-hmm. Voices were not heard as commonly or as loudly uh, as they are now. And um, he said it might have been a whole, whole different case or issue. But what is similar Steve Clark pointed out, and that is uh, the way the legislation was drawn up. So let's close out, um, you know, with this with this comment from Steve Clark. There are absolutes in the as I see the political arena now, and so often in what's been done in the most recent session, uh, the Arkansas General Assembly uh, are bills to say absolutes. Absolutely, and some of it has to do with um, uh, gender and, and gender assignment. Some of it has to do with the use of bathrooms based on gender. and Some of it has to do with uh, um, performances, or, you know, um, uh, uh, whether it be dances or plays. And some of it has to do with books, and they're absolutes. This book is absolutely wrong. It's absolutely uh, illegal, it's absolutely immoral, it's absolutely and very black and white. It's really black and white. About the only absolute I know is that either once you're born, you continue to live and breathe or you die. Those are the only absolutes I know. But you are going to die at some point. And, so, and if you don't breathe, you will die. So those are the absolutes. Everything else has some shade of gray. And um, so I, there's a lot of this it seems to me, just watching the news and reading the news, that uh, in all states, not just Arkansas, in all states, there's a whole lot of public policy being debated in absolutes. That was former Attorney General Steve Clark talking about uh, the creation science trial from 1981. Randy Dixon here in the studio with me today. Thanks for joining me, well, Randy. It's good to be with you. Yeah, good to see you. Rare occasions. Kyle makes it back I, i'll be back i guess uh, in the studio with him next week that's right yeah the the team will be back together don't know what it'll be about but uh it'll certainly be interesting all right looking forward to it randy dixon from the prior center for arkansas oral and visual history 
I'm Daniel Carruth, and this is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is on every weekday at noon and at 7 p.m. But if you ever miss an episode of our show, fear not. There's plenty of ways to keep up with all of the local programming and reporting you rely on from us here at Ozarks at Large. You can find full episodes of our show in your podcast feed. Just search for Ozarks at Large in your favorite podcast app. You can find the individual stories on our website, ozarksatlarge.com. And you can get the most recent stories in your email inbox every weekday morning by signing up for the newsletter. Just go to KUAF.com slash newsletter. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. Jelly Roll Kings were a blues trio featuring Arkansas's Frank Frost and Sam Carr and Mississippi native Big Jack Johnson. Formed in 1962, the band became better known over the years as its members achieved fame individually, sort of a supergroup in reverse. Guitarist and vocalist Jack Johnson was born in 1940 in Lambert, Mississippi. Frank Frost was born April 15, 1936 in Auvergne in Jackson County and was vocalist and harmonica player in the group, but it was his keyboard player in the Jelly Roll Kings that helped give the trio a unique sound. Almost exactly a decade older than Frank Frost, Sam Carr was born April 17, 1926, in Marvel in Phillips County. Carr and Frank Frost got together in St. Louis, Missouri in 1956, while Johnson met them in 1962. Sam Carr's father was slide guitar great and Phillips County native Robert Nighthawk McCollum, and Nighthawk often played with Carr's band, as did blues harmonica legend Sonny Boy Williamson II, a.k.a. Rice Miller. Carr was band leader, manager, and booking agent, and cited by many as the reason behind the group's longevity. Jelly Roll Kings played together in one form or another for nearly four decades. Italy, Switzerland, Holland, Belgium, Australia, and the major U.S. blues festivals. But it was nearly 20 years before they'd record an album under that name. Blues fan Michael Frank first heard the three performing in Clarksdale, Mississippi in 1975 and wanted to record them so badly he launched his own record label. Rockin' the Juke Joint Down was the Jelly Roll Kings album debut and the debut of Earwig Records of Chicago, Illinois. Another nearly 20 years passed before the Jelly Roll Kings recorded again, with 1997's Off Yonder Wall, produced by Robert Palmer for Fat Possum Records. Meanwhile, the stature of its individual members in the blues world grew. Living Blues magazine named Sam Carr the best blues drummer for 12 straight years. Frank Frost and Sam Carr were featured in the 1986 Ralph Macchio film Crossroads, and Frost appeared in a campaign commercial for Arkansas' Bill Clinton. Beginning in the mid-1980s, Frost and Carr became fixtures at Helena's annual King Biscuit Blues Festival. Johnson, meanwhile, recorded three solo albums and appeared in Little Rock native Robert Palmer's 1992 documentary, Deep Blues. I love after you 
The long reign of the Jelly Roll Kings ended with the death of keyboardist, vocalist, and harmonica player Frank Frost in 1999, almost exactly a decade after his longtime partner Frank Frost's death. Drummer Sam Carr died in 2009, and vocalist and guitarist Big Jack Johnson died in 2011. After nearly 40 years, but only two studio albums, the strong individuals behind this improbably long-lived blues supergroup ensure the Jelly Roll Kings will roll on. Here in its entirety are the Jelly Roll Kings, Big Jack Johnson, and Arkansas's Frank Frost and Sam Carr with their twist on You Are My Sunshine from 1979's Rockin' the Juke Joint Down. Sunshine Twist from Rockin' the Juke Joint Down, the 1979 debut album from the Jelly Roll Kings, Big Jack Johnson, and Arkansas's Frank Frost and Sam Carr. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansongs since 1998. Disney Concerts presents Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back in Concert. Friday, September 8th at the Walmart Amp. Guests will watch a screening of the film as members of the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas perform John Williams' Oscar-winning score live. Tickets and information at amptickets.com. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Holiday Island. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today include Jacqueline Froelich, Anna Pope, Daniel Carruth, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Additional help today from the hardworking news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. KUAF's membership director is Brett Ratliff. You can become a sustaining member at any time to support this public radio station at supportkuaf.com. Today's show was produced in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Matthew Moore. I hope you'll join us tomorrow at noon and at 7 p.m. for another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, be well.